struggling with chest congestion and my voice all day, but I'm trusting that the Holy Ghost is going to see me through. Amen. So I pray that you just bear with me and you bear with my crackly voice. Whether I crackle or not, I want you to understand that the word of the Lord still is filled with power. The word of the Lord is still filled with revelation and truth. I might not sound like myself, but is still the word of the King tonight. Amen. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Before I do, tonight we're going to continue in our series on kingdom living and what it means to be part of uh, a royal family. I want you to remember that we are offspring of the King, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And what this lesson that we're going to go through over the next couple of weeks, including what we've covered, is to teach us that how we are to live like excuse me, sons and daughters of the King, how we are to live and move and breathe like children of the Most High God, how we are to always be a reflection of that King that is our King and that Lord that is our Lord. And I hope that as we go through this series that you and me, myself, become a better reflection of that King in God's kingdom. Amen. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, you know how much I need you this evening. God, you know I can't do this on my own. You know I can't do this in my own strength. And you know what I've been battling all day, Father God. But I thank you, Father God, that there is no weapon formed against us that can prosper. I know that the devil wants this word to not come forth. But I thank you, Father God, that you have planned and purposed for your word to come forth with power and with anointing. So, God, I trust in your Holy Spirit, O God. I pray that I wouldn't be distracted by my own voice, Father God, or the own difficulties that I might have. But I pray, God, that your word would come forth this evening, that it would touch us, that it would change us, motivate us, and challenge us, God, to be more like the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So come against every hindering spirit, against every distraction, Father God, that might come against us, against your people. God, and I pray that they would receive your word with understanding. That they would receive your word with revelation this evening, Father God, and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. If you remember the founding passage that we, that I've chosen to use for this, uh, this series is 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 25. And it says, Samuel explained to the people the ways of royalty. And he wrote it in a book and laid it before the people so that they might understand. So that they might understand what it meant to have a king. 
so that they might understand what it meant to be part of a kingdom as well. Because as I taught you before, up until this point, they did not have a king. Up until this point, they did not, they were not part of the kingdom. So they didn't understand how a king operated, didn't understand how a kingdom operated. They didn't understand, uh, their relationship to a king and, and they didn't understand their, uh, the king's relationship to them. So he had to teach them the ways of royalty and he laid it out before them so that they might understand. The main truth of revelation that I wanted you to get last week, <clears throat> Was it just like the earth church was without form, just like the earth was empty and covered with darkness, just like it uh, was void without the government of God being spoken into it, without the word of God being spoken into it, just like the earth, the Bible says, was without form and empty and void until the government of God was spoken upon it, until the word of God was released and established upon it, church, so will our lives be. Without the government of God and the word of God being released and spoken and established in our lives. The only way that our life will have any form. The only way that your life and my life will reflect the kingdom of God and the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Is to have the word of the king established in our lives. To have the word of the creator established and spoken and released into our lives. So I pray that as we go through this study and as we go through this series, that all of that will become established in your life so that you and I can become a better reflection of the king. Amen. Excuse me as I break for that as we go. But we have to allow it to be established in our lives. I don't know about you, church, but I don't want my life to be without form. I don't want my ministry to be without form. I don't want my marriage or anything about my life to be without form. I don't want it to be empty. I don't want to stand up here on Wednesday nights without the form of God in my life, without the kingdom of God being established in my life. I don't want to speak to you empty words, and I don't want to speak to you uh, words that have no power. And in order for me to accomplish that, I have to yield myself to the king. I have to yield myself to the king of kings and lord of lords. The truth is, I want life, and I want it more abundantly. I want the... The king's plans and purposes to be established in my life, and I'm sure you do as well. And the only way that that will take place, the only way that will happen, is if we learn the ways of royalty. What it means to be children of the king, and what it means to be uh, kings and priests under the Most High God. The reality is, sin took away the form of God and brought us into darkness. If you remember Adam and Eve, <clears throat> they dwelt in the garden. They had the authority of God and the wisdom of God. They had the, the power and the dominion of God. God said, let us form man. Let us make man in our image and let him have dominion over the earth. But when they sinned, they lost that kingdom. They lost that dominion. They lost that power. And they lost the form of God in their life. They lost the character of God. They lost the dominion of God and the power of God and the likeness of God because that's what sin does. But that's why we must be born again into the kingdom of light so that we can regain a seat of royalty. So that we once again can be seated in heavenly places. So we once again can have the image of God and the form of God established in our lives. Amen. Remember, without Christ, who is the government of God, 
We are without form, and we are void, and we are empty. But with Jesus, Paul said, we are children of light. With Jesus, we are no longer darkness, but we are light, and we are to live like children of the light. So that's part of the requirements we have as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's part of the requirements we have as kings and priests unto God, is to be a reflection of the king and a reflection of the kingdom. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight, the concept of a king and his kingdom. Some of it may be a little repetitious from last week, but this is what the Holy Spirit has given me. So I'm going to expand on it, expound on it, and I'm going to bring it forth to you. Uh, As clearly as I can. In Revelations chapter 1, verse 5 to 6, we discover that through Christ, the one who loved us and washed us, that he has also made us kings and priests of God unto his Father. Not just sons and daughters of the Most High God. Not just children of the Most High God. But but kings and priests unto the Most High God. As if it wasn't enough to be a child of the King. If it wasn't enough to be sons and daughters of the Most High God, Christ has also made us kings and priests unto the Most High God as well. Well, I don't know about you, but there's no greater kingdom for you to be part of than the kingdom of God. No greater kingdom for you to be a king within than in the kingdom of God. What you and I need to understand is that this passage doesn't mean that we are God's light God. It doesn't mean that we are little mini-gods like the Mormons believe, but that rather we are kings and priests unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is what we have to understand. And no matter how much authority and power we have, we are not equal to God. Because there is none that are holy like our God. No matter how much dominion we have and rule we have and, and royal reign we have, we will never be equal to God. Because who is like unto thee, O Lord, majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, and doing wonders among your people? God did not make us equal to him. He made us kings and priests under him. And that's what we need to understand. Kings and priests, church, who are to be a representation of his kingship and a representation of his kingdom. He's made us kings and priests who are to live and move and breathe in a world of darkness as kings and priests of light. And that's what he means in this passage of Scripture. And it's an awesome responsibility, church, that we have. It's one thing. To live like children of the king. But it's another to live like kings and priests of the king. And that's a concept of the king and the kingdom that we must grasp. The first truth that has to be established in our lives, church, concerning the king, is that we are his property and not our own. We are his property and not our own. The Word of God tells us that we are not our own, that we have been bought with a price. And therefore, we are to glorify God, glorify His kingship, and glorify His kingdom in our lives. I'm going to look at that a little bit farther as we go. But the reality is, when it comes to a king, not not just a heavenly king, but even an earthly king, when it comes to a king, we must understand that the king owns everything under his domain. The king owns everything in his kingdom. The king owns everything under his dominion because the word of the Lord tells us that 
that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. David said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything. I don't need to define that word for you, everything. When you walk around and you look at this earth, everything you see, everything you touch, everything you hear, everything you experience belongs to the king. Everything belongs to the Lord. The word of God also tells us that every animal of the forest is mine, God said, and the cattle on a thousand hills. And God certainly could have expanded on that, but he just used those words to give us an idea that everything is his. Not just the cattle on a thousand hills, but God owns the hills as well. A thousand hills. He owns a million hills. He owns every hill that's on the earth. And the reality is, he doesn't just own the hills, church. He owns the valleys between the hills. He owns everything that flows through the valley and everything that grows on the mountaintop. He owns the birds that fly over it and and the cattle that wander across it. He owns everything that's underneath of it as well. The king owns everything within his domain, church. And that's one of the first principles we have to understand as being part of the kingdom of God. That I belong to the king. And my life should reflect that truth. My words should reflect that truth. My my character and my dress and my attitude and everything about my finances, my business, my marriage, my family... All of that should reflect the truth that I belong to the king, that I'm not my own church. You see, when you and I begin to operate like we belong to ourselves and not to God, his kingdom will never come. His power will never come. His dominion will never come. If we live as kings unto ourselves, the only authority, the only power, the only wisdom, the only influence, the only favor we will experience in our life is what we can muster up. Is what we can accomplish on our own. I don't know about you, church. But I want more than that. Because my wisdom will only go so far. My knowledge will only go so far. My power will only go so far. My mercies and graces and favor upon myself will only go so far. It's why I need the king's power and the king's glory and the king's authority in my life, church. You see, David understood the concept of a king. He's the one that wrote both of those passages. David understood the concept of a king. David understood that everything that he had belonged to God, including himself. David understood that everything he had, including his own kingdom, including himself as a king, belonged to God. David understood that everything that his life would ever produce belonged to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He understood that anything that his kingdom would ever bring forth, that anything that his kingdom would ever capture, belonged to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, not to him. David understood the principle that I belong to God, even as a king. And his kingdom reflected that church, and so should our lives. You see, one of the things that I want you to understand is that it wasn't difficult for David to bring his tithe to the king. It wasn't difficult for David to bring the first fruit. It wasn't difficult for David to offer a gift. It wasn't difficult for David to make a sacrifice or bring an offering to the king of kings and lord of lords because he understood it all belonged to my king anyway. It all belongs to God anyway. 
Everything that, that I have, everything that I acquire, everything that I attain, David understood, it belongs to the king anyway. Do you understand it wasn't difficult for David to offer himself a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. Why? Because he understood, I belong to God anyway. I belong to God anyway. You see, the reality is, if you don't realize that, you'll never offer yourself to God. If you don't realize that you are not your own, but that you've been bought with a price, you can never yield yourself to the king as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is the first concept you must grasp in the kingdom in order to offer something of value to the king. Because you'll always hold on to it. It's mine. It's me. It's me, myself, and I. You have to understand that when you, when you come to that place where you understand the reality that I don't belong to myself, it's easy for you to sacrifice yourself to the king. David didn't have difficulty worshiping the king, no matter what was going on in his life, because he knew his worship belonged to the king. He understood that his praise belonged to the king. He understood that all of the thanksgiving that he could ever muster up belonged to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, no matter what was going on in his life. No matter if the enemy was round about him, no matter if he was a conquering hero, he understood that everything, all the glory, all the praise, all the majesty, belongs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This may sound harsh, and a lot of people may not like to hear it, church. But the one who doesn't tithe, and the one who doesn't give, the one who doesn't worship, and the one who doesn't praise, and the one who doesn't offer thanksgiving, and the one who doesn't offer a sacrifice to the kingdom of God, they don't have a king in their life except themselves. They don't have a king except the king of me, myself, and I. You see, because when you have a king in your life, and you understand that I'm not my own, but I belong to the king, everything you have, you will give to that king. All the worship, all the praise. You see, when we come into the house of God, and we find it difficult to worship, we've got to stop and ask ourselves, who's my king right now? When we come into the house of God and we don't have a dance and we don't have a clap and we don't have a song, we've got to ask ourselves, who's my king right now? Is it the heartache I've gone through? Is it the bills I have to pay? Is it the boss that gave me a a bunch of junk all throughout the week? Who's my king? You see, you need to understand When you realize who your king is and you make the king of glory, your king of kings, everything you have, your worship, your praise, it's not going to be difficult to give to him, church. It's not going to be difficult to offer to him because you realize it all belongs to him anyway. You see, I hope you realize that every single thing you and I have, God could take just like that. He's done it. I know he's done it in some of your lives and he's done it to degrees in my life. In order to bring us back to the understanding that you didn't bring that into your life. You didn't acquire that in your life. You didn't accomplish that in your life. I did. You see, God will bring us to those places where we get, remember week one, our priorities straight. Who's king and who's not? And we've got to ask ourselves, church, on, on, an, on a regular basis, who's my king today? Who's my king today? 
And the answer is reflected in the way we worship and the way that we give and the way that we praise and the way that we serve and the way that we sacrifice for that king and for that kingdom. You understand? The individual that's dedicated to his boss will demonstrate that in the way that he works and the attitude that he has and the overtime that he puts in and the care that he takes when, when he's doing his job. If somebody clocks in late and they punch out early and they goof around all day, they don't understand. You understand what I'm saying? They don't value their place in that kingdom. And spiritually, we find ourselves doing the same thing, shortchanging the king. But he deserves it all because it all belongs to him anyway, church. I know it sounds harsh and unfair, but that's the truth, church. That the one that does not offer himself to God with all that they have does not understand the concept of a king. Or what it means uh, that I don't belong to myself, I belong to God. Samuel had to teach the children of God the same exact principle He had to teach them that once they had a king in their life, that everything they had from that moment on would belong to the king. Remember, prior to this, they didn't have a king. They weren't part of the kingdom. Everything they had was theirs. All the gold, all the jewels, all everything that Pharaoh gave to them to get them out of Egypt. As soon as Saul became their king and that kingdom was established, everything they had now belonged to the king. And Samuel had to teach them that. Your children will now belong to the king. Your offspring will belong to the king. Your cattle, your horses, your cows, your sheep, your goats, your gold, your jewels. It will all belong to the king. You yourself will belong to the king. He was teaching them a physical law and a spiritual law as well. He was relating the kingdom of the earth to the kingdom of God. And they needed to learn that I am not my own. That I belong to the king. And if they could relate that, if they could see that and sense that and and gain an understanding of that in an earthly sense, then it would help them understand that in a spiritual sense as well. We must understand that we are not our own. That we belong to the king of kings, church, and the Lord of lords. He had to teach them something. Because in a kingdom, I said it, the king owns the people. He owns the animals. He owns the plants. He owns the buildings and the structures. He owns the land and everything that's under the land. An earthly king and our heavenly king. With every earthly example I give you, there's a spiritual parallel. When I talk about an earthly king, I'm talking about a spiritual king as well. Talking about what we, when we are in right position of God, have rights to as well. You see, the reality is... That God is able to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory because he owns everything. There's nothing God, there's nothing we need that God doesn't own. There's nothing we need that God doesn't have. There's nothing we need that God can't make available to us if we are in the kingdom of God. But we have to be in right standing and right position to have those, to have those rights and privileges extended and offered into our life. We have to understand that church. I have to understand that, and I'll look at that a little bit as we go. But he owns everything. He owns the gold, the diamonds, the silver, the platinum. He owns the wells that are under the water. He owns the oil that might be there as well, church. He owns everything. He owns the seeds. He owns the soil. He owns everything that the soil will ever bring forth, church. Every crop, every harvest that will ever come forth, it all belongs to the king. I hope you're grasping what this means in a spiritual sense, church. Because everything that is ever produced in our life, at any degree, it all belongs to God. Our children belong to God. 
And we need to act like that, church. We need to raise them up and treat them like that, like I told you about last week. That you must treat your children, you must sow into your children's life blessings and promises, the same ones that the King of Kings has offered into our life. This is the way. We, this is what we need to understand, church. He owns it all. It's why he is called Lord, because he is owner of it all. That's what Lord means. It means owner. When we call God Lord, I don't think we realize that sometime. When you call God Lord, you are calling Him your owner. You are saying, when you call Him Lord, you are saying, God, I belong to you. Whatever you want to do with me, however you want to use me, whatever you want to teach me, whatever you want to tell me, wherever you want to send me, you're my Lord, you're my owner. I belong to you and I trust you. He's a good God. He's a just God. He's a righteous king. He's never going to abuse us, never going to use us, never going to mislead us, never going to hurt us. But he is our king. When we say, Lord, understand what you're saying. Understand that when we call him Lord, we are calling him owner church. One of the greatest struggles that the Christian has today is living according to that truth. The greatest struggle that every Christian has is to live according to the fact that I'm not my own. That I belong to God. We want it our way. We, we want what feels good. We want what looks good. We want what tastes good. We want it our way. But we can't have it our way. We've said it a thousand times. It's not Burger King. It is the kingdom of God. And it is His way that we have to live. His way that we have to move. His way that we have to breathe. His way that we have to decide. His way. Do you understand, church, what I'm saying? The greatest failure of the Christian today is to call him king and then not do what he says. The greatest failure of a Christian today is to call him Lord and do your own thing. You see, Jesus himself said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then not do what I say? Why do you call me master and do your own thing? Why do you call me king? And then rebel against my kingdom. Why do you call me king and then work against me? Why do you call me king and yet live like my enemy? You see, the reality is the Bible tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. If you're going to wrap your arms around the world and love on the world like I talked about last week, you are making yourself an enemy of the kingdom of God. If you and I, if our affection is this world, then God is not our king. He is our enemy. And the reality is for us to enjoy the kingdom of God in our life. For everything that the kingdom entails and involves. For it to be delivered into our lives, church. For us to experience it and have a right to it. He must be king in our lives. And we must be yielded to him. He must be in right priority, and we must have his government being established in our lives, church. The truth is, we cannot call him Lord and then make excuses for disobeying him. Can't call him Lord and then make excuses for doing our own thing and why we did this and why we did that and why we didn't listen to God. We can't call him king, like I said, and walk in our own ways and do what is right in our own eyes. We must yield ourselves to the king, church. The truth is, we've talked about it before, either Jesus is Lord of all, 
or he's not Lord at all. Either Jesus is Lord of all that I am and all that I ever will be, all that I have. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. There, there, there's no in between. There's no gray. It's he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, church. This is one of the truths that we understand. What we have to realize, church, is that the lordship of Christ and the kingship of Christ isn't a once a week obligation. The lordship of Christ and the kingship of Christ is not a once a week occasion, church. I want you to understand that the lordship of Christ and the kingship of Christ is a 24-7 responsibility to everyone who considers themselves part of the kingdom of God. There are no weekend citizens when it comes to the kingdom of God. No weekend citizens when it comes to the kingdom of God. But we live like that all the time. Oh God, I'll be a citizen on Sunday, but I'll do my own thing the rest of the week. I'll hop in on Sunday, church. Or I'll hop in on Sunday, God, and I'll be a citizen of your kingdom Sunday morning. And I'll give you a little bit of praise and a little bit of worship and a little bit of service and a little bit of my time. But the rest of the week, I'm going to fight against your kingdom. Because I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes instead of the eyes of God. You see, the reality is there are no two-day passes or one-day passes to the kingdom of God like there is to some theme parks that we go to. But yet we treat the house of God and the kingdom of God like six flags. We come in and we enjoy the ride. We come in and we are entertained. We come in and we woo and holler and enjoy the kingdom of God for one day. Not even a day. A couple hours in the house of God. And then as soon as we leave, we go and do our own thing. That's not being part of the kingdom of God. That's not being a king. That's not being a priest. I want you to understand that's being an imposter. That's being someone that's trying to come in by some other way. That's the individual that will never have the kingdom of God fully established in their life. Because the kingship of God and the lordship of God in their life is a 24-7, seven days a week, 52 weeks out of the year, responsibility and obligation we have. Until we understand that, the kingdom of God can't come into our life. Until we understand that and live that, church, the power of God and the dominion of God and everything about God can't be released into our life. It is a, it is a lifelong obligation that we have to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, church. Amen? Another concept that we need to understand concerning the King is that He is central to the kingdom. Because the king is the essence of the kingdom. The king himself is the makeup of the kingdom. He's the substance of the kingdom. He's the character of the kingdom. He is the heart of the kingdom itself. What you and I need to realize, church, is that without a king, there is no kingdom. Without a king, there is no kingdom because the kingdom is the king. If the king is wicked, the kingdom will be wicked as well. If the king is righteous... The kingdom will be righteous as well, just like it was with King David, just like it was with King Uzziah, who the Bible says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper and his kingdom as well. And when the kingdom prospered, the people prospered as well. But the kingdom is the king or the king is the kingdom. You can say it either way, church, to give you a better idea of what I'm saying. When I say the truth is without the king, there is no kingdom means this. The reality is, when it comes to a kingdom, the people can be there. And the 
houses can be there, and the, the livestock can be there, and the land can be there, and the fortress can be there, and the palace can be there, or the, or the castle can be there, or the towers can be there. The knights can be there, and the horses of war can be there. But listen to me, church, without all of it being governed by a king, there is no kingdom. All of it can be there. All of it can be in place. But unless it is governed by a king, there is no kingdom. There is no dominion. There is no rule. There is no authority. There is no power. There is no protection. There is no provision from the king. Without the king, there is no kingdom. My point is, if you don't have a king in your life, there is no kingdom to come. If you don't have the king of kings as your king, his kingdom won't come into your life. His power won't come. His dominion won't come. His promises, power, provisions, protection, none of it will come into our life unless we are governed by the king. It goes back to last week with his government church. The same goes true for our life. The same goes true for the church. Listen, the people can be here. The pews can be here. The pastor can be here. The choir can be here. And the orchestra can be here. And, the, and the, the band can be here. Understand the hospitality team can be here. And the security team can be here. And the nursery workers can be here. The youth programs can be here. And, and all of the people and everything that a church is pictured to be can be here, church. All of it can be here. All the elements of a church can be in place. But unless they are governed by a king... The kingdom of God won't come. The church will be empty. It will be without form. It will be void. And it will be filled with darkness, church. And the power of God can't operate. It won't be filled with light. Listen. Listen to me. We can have the form of godliness without the power, the Bible says. And there are churches that have a form of godliness but don't have the power. Why? Because they're not being governed by the king. They're not being governed by the king. They're doing what they want, living like they want, acting like they want. They're not governed by a king, and their life is empty. It's powerless. It's void. It doesn't have any shape or form, especially the form of God, especially the character of God. There are churches every single week that pack the house with people, music playing, lights shining, people dancing and jumping. I don't care if they're not governed by a king. God's kingdom won't come. We're about to spend six million, five million, four million. I don't care if it's two million or twenty million that we spend on a new building. We can fill that place up with five thousand, two thousand, or fifteen hundred. I don't care. If it's not governed by a king, it won't have power. And this is what we need to understand. And the responsibility is on you as it is with me. When we move into that building, we must realize I'm not my own. When we move into that structure and we move into that building, we've got to move in with the heart that is ready to be governed by a king. Because when we are, his kingdom will come. When we are, his authority and his dominion and his power and his protection and his provisions will come into our lives. See, the reality is, a whole lot of people live their life. We talked a little bit about it last week. I don't want to be governed by the king. They don't want to be governed by the king, but they want the king to put food on their table. 
They don't want to be governed by the king, but they want the king to provide. They want to sleep around and have sex and do this and do that. They want to, they want to smear the kingdom of God in the image of the king. And then they wonder why there's no food on their table and why they can't pay bills and why they got to go around asking people for money. I'm not saying that that's everybody. But I'm saying that there are individuals like that, that they don't want to be governed by a king. And then they wonder why the king doesn't provide. Why the king's not putting food on their table. You see, the reality is when we got our priorities right. And the reality is when we've got the government of God established in our life. We don't have to beg for food. We don't have to beg for provisions. We don't have to beg for protection from the king of kings. Because when the kingdom of God, when the king and his word is established in his life, everything he has is established in our life as well, church. David said, I was young and now I'm old. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed have to beg for bread. Seen the unrighteous have to beg. I've seen the unholy have to beg, but David was saying, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed have to beg for bread. Now listen, I told you what the word righteous meant last week or the week before. It meant to be conformed to God's established standards, which was his government. So if you want to be a part of that, where you're never forsaken and you never have to beg for bread and you have the fullness of God's kingdom into your life, your priorities have to be straight. God's, God's government has to be established in your life and you have to realize I'm not my own, that I belong to God. Here's another thing that I want to say as we start winding down. We have to remember that concerning a king, a king's word is his government church, as we learned last week. A king's word is his power. A king's word is his grace. A king's word is his mercy. A king's word is his justice. At his word, a king can cause you to live or a king can cause you to die. At a king's word, he can put provisions on your table or surround you with protection. His word is the kingdom. His word is the government. His word is everything that he has. Understand, church, this is the king's word. This is the word of the king. This isn't my word. This isn't man's word. This isn't the word of a peasant or the word of a pauper. This isn't the word of some politician or a world leader. This isn't the word of some worldly teacher or some famous philosopher. This is the word of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the government of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is his word, church. This This is the king's law, and it's the only law we need. You have to understand that this is law of God all by itself. It doesn't need anything else. You see, the word of God doesn't need anyone else's power to make it powerful. The word of God, which is the word of the king of kings, it doesn't need anything else to give it dominion. Doesn't need anything else to give it power. Doesn't need anything else to give it rule. Doesn't need anything else to give it supernatural power. It is the word of the king. It will always be the same. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever, church. It will never change. It is the word of the king. It is the word of the king all by itself. It doesn't need any help. The fact is, the Bible tells us that that we're not supposed to add to or take away from the word of the king. Do not add to and do not take away from this word, God said. 
Because the reality is when you add to it, it loses power. When you take away from it, it adds power. When you and I begin to add our own philosophies to the Word of God, it loses power in our life and His kingdom won't come. When you and I begin to take out the parts we don't like, guess what? The power of this Word and the power of the kingdom can't flow into our lives. God said, God actually said, anyone who adds to my Word will be cursed. Anyone who takes away from my Word will be cursed as well. Help you understand what I'm saying. When we begin to mess with the Word of the King, blessings won't come into our life. When we begin to mess with the word of the king, he has no obligation to provide. He has no obligation to protect. He has no obligation to promote you or me in any way whatsoever. When we mess with the word of the king. Actually, what God was saying was, I spoke it. You live it. Now leave it alone. I spoke it. You live it. And leave it alone. Let my word be the word in your life. Just live it. But we don't like to do that. We like to tear at it. We like to debate over it. We like to water it down. We like to neuter it. We like to amend it. We like to take out parts and add different parts. We like to do all sorts of things to the word of the king, thinking it will have more power in our life. And all we do is water it down. And all we do is miss the true promise and the power of the kingdom of God in our life. God said, I spoke it, now you live it. And that's the responsibility we have as sons and daughters of the Most High God. It's a responsibility we have, church, as kings and priests unto God. Listen, the truth is, in the kingdom of God, we must always defer to the word of the king. Always. We must always defer to the word of the king. We talked a little bit, some, about this last week. When you got decisions to make, you got to defer to the word of the king. When you got some obstacles in your life or hurdles, you need to get some wisdom, you need to get some direction, you need to defer to the word of the king. When someone comes to you and they begin to talk to you about homosexuality, guess what? You've got to defer to the word of the king. Not your own opinions, not your own positions, not what your political party might say, not what your political party uh, might, might endorse, not what your personal persuasions might be. You need to defer to the word of the king. And the word of the king says this about homosexuality, that it's an abomination in my sight, that it's despicable in my sight. And the reality is, church, listen to me. If you belong to the kingdom of God, you must always defer to the word of the king. You must always defer to the word of the king. If you begin to get into conversation about same-sex marriage or fornication or any other topic that you might want to talk about, abortion, anything, you always must defer to the word of the king. Not your own opinions, not your own persuasions, not what your political party might say. Not anything else, church. You must defer to the word of God. Listen, I hope you understand that my opinions have no power in the kingdom of God. And neither do yours. My political persuasions have no power in the kingdom of God. Only the word of the king does. And that's what we have to yield to in every area of our life. We must yield to the word of the king. It's something we don't like to do. We like to live a lot of times by our own opinions. We know that if we're going to defer to the word of the king, oh, it's going to bring some persecution into my life. It might not make some people happy. But the reality is, every time you defer to the word of the king, you can be assured that the power of the king will be with you. You can assure that the promises and the protection and everything that the kingdom of God has to offer will be with you when you defer to the word of the king. 
doesn't matter, church, what our position on anything in life might be. We must always defer to the word of the king. We must always let it be our ultimate source of authority in our life. The word of the king, in all reality, in a kingdom, the word of the king is the only and ultimate source of authority in the kingdom. No one else, just the king. It is up to the king to decide what is law. It's up to the, the king to decide the way the kingdom will operate. It's up to the king to decide this and to decide that. Who will give this and who will give that and who will promote and who will do It's up to the king. We must yield ourselves to the word of the king, church, regardless of the cost. See, the reality is for you and I to defer and defend the word of the king is going to cost us something sometimes. But that's why a lot of us don't want to do that. You see, there's a lot of houses, like I've talked about earlier, a lot of houses of worship who don't even preach the word of the king anymore because it's inconvenient, because it's uncomfortable, because it doesn't bring in a lot of people or it might not bring in a lot of money. But I want you to understand the church or the person that does not hold the word of the king as their sole source of authority in their life cannot expect the kingdom of God to come into their life. The power of God, the authority of God, or anything else. The truth is, unless my words are his words, they have no power. Unless my words, church, are the king's words, they have no authority. Unless my words conform to the king's word, they are void and they're powerless and they are empty. Understand what I'm saying. Listen, I'm going to start bringing this to a close. You can shout at your mountain all you want in your own words. But it will not move unless they are the words of the king. You can shout at your Goliath from morning till sunset. But unless you're shouting the words of the king, Goliath isn't going to move. You can walk around the walls of Jericho and shout all that you want in your own words. But nothing's going to crumble and nothing's going to fall unless you begin to speak the words of the king. You see, the reality is there's a lot of people in the house of God that are spewing out their own words instead of the words of the king. And they wonder why nothing's moving. They wonder why victory is fleeting. They wonder why chaos is ruling in their life and why darkness is surrounding them. Because they have not yet learned to speak the words of the king. They grumble against their enemy and they fuss at their enemy and they, and they bow down to their enemy when all they have to do is begin to speak the words of the king. Because the words of the king are filled with authority. The words of the king are filled with dominion and filled with power. Listen, when your situation in life, when, when your situations of life get difficult, you think grumbling and complaining is going to help? You think woe is me and bickering and fussing is going to help? You think even crying, listen, and I'm not making light because we all have difficult times, but listen to me, even your tears don't move the king. The king's word move his kingdom on your behalf. So that when you have a giant in your life, you need to understand, I got to start speaking the words of the king. If you want, if you want prosperity, and I'm not just talking money, okay? If you want prosperity in your life and your marriage and in all sorts of areas in your life, you've got to learn to start speaking the words of the king. The reason that so many Christians are powerless is because they don't even know the word of the king. It's not established in their life. They're ignorant to it. They don't know it. They don't study it. They read bestseller books. They read newspapers. 
They read all sorts of other articles. They browse the internet and they get out, gather all of their information concerning their situation and their circumstance. It amazes me how many people will go on the internet to figure out symptoms of this and, and cures of this and all sorts of other ways that I can overcome this situation in my life when all they've got to do is speak the word of the king in their life. The word of the king is filled with power and authority, church. Listen, the word of the king is all we need to find freedom in our life. To have the kingdom power of God released in our life. I'm not saying that we can't supplement this. You understand what I'm saying? There's study guides out there. There's, there's all sorts of other things that can give us better understanding of the word of God. Like me preaching to you. But what I am saying is that if you don't have anything else except the word of the king, it's all you need. It's all you need is the word of the king. Listen, pastor, I'm going to start bringing this to a close. But the pastor on Sunday preached about the rapture and the second coming. And he talked about an event that would happen during the second coming. Not the rapture, but the second coming. When Jesus would come back to the earth, he would come in the clouds riding on a white horse. The Bible tells us that he's not going to, he's not going to fight. I gotta take out any worldly weapons. The Bible tells us that as he rides through the clouds to bring an end to the battle of Armageddon, that the only weapon he will use is the word of the king. That the word of the king will come forth from his mouth like a silvery sword and put an end to all of those who stand against the cross. Understand, that's the power Jesus himself used. And we think we can live without it. It's the power that Jesus... Listen. Jesus said, I don't speak of my own accord. I speak only what the the Father tells me to speak. I don't speak my own words. I only speak the words of the King. Why? Listen. Because Jesus understood if he spoke anything beside the word of the King, his words wouldn't have power. Even Jesus understood that. Jesus understood that if I speak anything except my... King, the words of the king, then I cannot expect the power of the king to follow. I cannot expect the provisions or the authority or the rule or the reign of the king to follow. Jesus said, I don't even do what I want to do. I do only what my father bids me to do. Jesus understood that if he operated, listen, I'm bringing this to a close. Jesus understood if he moved and lived and breathed outside of the word of the king, the power of the kingdom wouldn't come into his life. Jesus himself understood that. And yet we think we can speak outside of the word of the king. We think we can live outside of the word of the king. We think we can live and move and breathe and do business and have relationships and raise families and, and, and go to work and, and have life outside of the word of the king and the commands of the king. And then we wonder why his kingdom's not coming into our life. Why we don't have power. And why we're overcome at every turn. But I want you to understand that when we realize, church, that we are not our own. That we belong to the king. And that his word must be the supreme authority in our life. When we yield ourselves to that, God's kingdom will come into your life. So if you're here tonight and you say, God... I want kingdom authority. I want kingdom power. Uh, I, I, I understand, God, that, 
that if I do all of these things, that your power will be made available into my life. All I'm saying is that if you're here tonight and you say, God, I need your kingdom to come into a situation of my life. There's an area where I need your kingdom power. An area where I need your kingdom wisdom. An area where I need your kingdom grace or your kingdom whatever it might be. God, I just need your kingdom to come into my life. Some area of my life, I want you to stand to your feet and I'm going to share something with you as you stand. The last passage that I want to read, and I apologize for going long, but I'm, I'm going to keep kicking the devil because he's, you know, been messing with my throat. So I'm going to mess with him. Matthew 18, 19 to 20, Jesus said, again, I tell you, it wasn't enough for him to tell his disciples once. It was important enough that they understood this fact and this truth that he had to tell them twice. He said, again, I tell you, and I believe even Pastor Dow prayed this. I tell you that if two of you on earth, and I want you to see a couple things, if two of you on earth... Agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. I want you to see how God's kingdom will come. I want you to see how heaven and earth come together, church. How, how we can pray for God's kingdom to come. And when it comes, it comes with power and it comes with authority. It comes with wisdom and everything that we need. If any two of you on earth shall agree about anything you ask for, it shall be done for you by my Father in heaven. Because where two or three are gathered, two or three of you are gathered together in my name in the name of the king there i am in the midst of them and i want you to realize that wherever the king is his power is wherever the king is his authority is wherever the king is his promises and his provision and his protection is wherever the king is his healing is and his grace is and his mercy is and his forgiveness is you see there is a way to have the kingdom of god come into your life It's to gather in the name of the king. It's to understand the power of the king. It's to find a brother and a sister and say, I want you to agree with me together. That we can touch and have the kingdom of God come into our lives. It's how it can happen. And wherever the king is, his power is there as well. How many of you know the the king is here tonight? How many of you know that while he's here, his power is provided? Everything that you need is here in his house tonight, church. That's what we're going to pray. As we pray, church, I want you to, whatever your need is, whatever provision it is that you need from God, our prayer should be, God, I thank you that you are here tonight. I thank you that you're able to meet every need I have according to your riches and glory, because where the king is, his kingdom is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word this evening. I thank you, Father God, that even though my voice was crackly, Father God, and even though it was rough, I thank you, Father, that your anointing was still with me. I thank you, Father God, that your word will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it this evening, that it will not return to you void or empty or without form. I thank you that your word was filled with power this evening, power to change lives, power to heal the sick, power to bring lost ones home. Power to mend marriages, God. Power to touch minds. Power, Father God, to bring finances into being. Power, God, to loose the attic. Power, God, to forgive. Power to release mercy and grace, O God, into our lives. I thank you that the word of the King will endure forever, Father God. 
I thank you, Father God, that the sun still rises and the sun still sets because the the word of the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I thank you, God, that birds still fly and dogs still bark. I thank you, Father God, that the stars still twinkle and the moon still glows, Father God, because the word of the Lord shall endure forever. I thank you, Father God, that the trees of the field still clap their hands and that the seas and the oceans still roar because the word of the King shall endure forever. I thank you, Father God, that every need we have this evening will be met according to the riches of our King. So God, whatever the provision is that your people need this evening, Father God, whatever lack they might have, Whatever heaviness they might be bearing, whatever emptiness might be, Father God, in their life, I pray that your kingdom would come into that situation tonight. God, we've not gathered in our own name, but we have gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've gathered in the name of the King this evening, God. And I thank you that where the King is, so is his kingdom. I thank you that your kingdom has come into our lives tonight. I thank you that it has deposited a promise into the lives of your people. I thank you that you have sown a seed, Father God, into the lives of your children, kings and priests unto you. I thank you for the fruit that's going to come forth. I thank you for the job that's going to be offered. I thank you for the marriage that's going to be made well. I thank you for the mind that's going to be set free. I thank you for the son or daughter that's going to come home, oh God. I thank you for the devil that's going to run away. I thank you for the giant that's going to be defeated. I thank you for the wall that's going to come down, oh God. I thank you for the rain that's going to descend, Father God, on that life that has been in a drought, Father God. And the provision that will be made available in the midst, Father God, of a famine this evening. You're a mighty God and a powerful God. We yield ourselves to you, Lord God, and we understand that we are not our own, but that we belong to you, God. Be our king. Be our Lord. Be our master, Father God. Not just by word, but by our life. Let us not call you Lord, Lord, and do it as we please. But let us call you Lord, Lord. And live like you are our king. Amen. Father God, we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord tonight, church? Amen. Thank you for tarrying with my voice. I praise God. I believe that every need that was met, or every need that was represented is met. So, prayed for you all. Amen. Be blessed and go in the name of the Lord. Go as a king and as a priest.